We'd like to welcome you to part two of our current event and weekly Bible study for December 29th, 2013. This, we're going to pick up where I left off in the last study. Sorry, I had to split things. That part actually went way too long and I needed to go back and re-split it. So it's not going to be seamless as far as my audio. But um, I'm going to go ahead and restart the audio where we left off in part one. You know what it reminded me of? That verse, that what they just said? Because when I'm doing these studies, a lot of times verses are just coming into my head as I'm doing this. And, and I, I credit the Holy Spirit for that. Like the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when, I, when Jesus said, when I send the Comforter, he will cause all things that I taught you to be brought into your remembrance, essentially. Paraphrasing. But um, think about that. It says, zealous former Protestants have created several websites explaining their conversions. And encouraging others to follow in their example. What are they trying to do? Get you into hell? If you're saved, or if, let's say, you're on the verge of salvation, you're teetering, and they get to you, and you convert to orthodoxy, or whatever, whatever garbage, you're bound for hell, unless you get saved. Unless you see the light. That is so disgusting to me because I cannot stand it when I know somebody's trying to get somebody else into hell. When I see those Mormons riding around on their bikes, that's, that's the first thing that pops into my head. I get so offended by that. Because they're literally on their way to their next house to try to get somebody to go to hell. Now, the, true, that person may be already on the way there. You know? Well, what verse came into my mind was Romans one thirty two. Who knowing the judgment of God. Now, if these guys were former, let's say, whatever you want to call them. Pseudo-Christians, Christians, whatever. And if they had read their Bible, they wouldn't know the judgment of God if they had read scriptures. Who knowing the judgment of God. Now, I understand, in this verse, if you read the whole, all of Romans 1, particularly at the end, we're talking about homosexuals. Men with men, women with women. Okay. But this would apply to these people as well heretics, infidels that have departed from the faith who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death not only do the same but have pleasure in them that do them meaning they want to get you into the same pit hellbound pit they're in why? because they have pleasure in them that do the same things they do See, the more Protestants they see converting over to Orthodoxy or Catholicism, the better they feel about themselves. Because misery loves company. Sickening is what it is. And then also Jude Jude 1 verse 3, actually Jude verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered under unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Meaning, Evidently, it was set. Well, how, is there any Bible for any... What do you mean it was set? It was set ahead of time? The Bible is very clear on that. 
Most people don't like to talk about that. But the Bible says the wicked go astray from the womb. They speak lies as soon as they be born. How does that work? I don't know. But that's what the Bible does say. Exactly. Quoting. The Bible says in Hebrews that their vessels of wrath fitted or prepared ahead of time, which is what that word means, prepared ahead of time for God's destruction. These men were before of old ordained to this condemnation. These were the ones that crept in unawares to the church. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our Lord, of our God, into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. When these people... Former Protestants that convert to orthodoxy and convert to Catholicism are trying to do, this is exactly what they're doing. Exactly what it says in Jude. uh, Verses 3 and 4. Proverbs 19.27 says, Cease, my son, to hear instruction that causeth to err from the words of knowledge. We're supposed to cease hearing that. This is why I'm not big on going out and telling people, Oh, read this book. No, I tell people to read the Word of God, the King James Bible, in the English-speaking language. It's about the only thing you'll ever hear me recommend. There are a few books that I will recommend from time to time, but it points you to the Word of God. I'm not saying there's not probably a multitude of good books. But time's so short, and it's like, uh, I just don't have time you know, to even research that, much less I think we need to be there in Scripture, primarily. So we're supposed to cease from hearing the instruction... That causes us to err from the words of knowledge. Well, the true words of knowledge, the most pure true words of knowledge, is in the Word of God. So we're not supposed to go around and hear every little doctrine out there. You don't have time for all that. Anyway. Now, if you're researching it to defend the Word of God, like researching and exposing the Mormons, or Jehovah Witnesses, or Seventh-day Adventists, or whatever cult doctrine they're believing in. Fine, great. If that's where you're so-called and so-led. But just be careful about getting, like, doing it for fun, with no real purpose, and, and immersing yourself in that. You know? Because also, if you literally bring those books into your house, you're bringing cursed objects into your house. Literally. You have like a Jehovah Witness, whatever, Watchtower magazine. Or Mormon literature, or stuff like that. Or like Mormon, um, you know, the Book of Mormon, or the Pearl of Great Price. They use a King James Bible. But they also say that, you know, they, they, they have three things they go off. King James Bible, <laughs> the Book of Mormon, which is a total bunch of heretical pagan lies from the pit of hell and the pearl of great price. Well, you, you, Which one your standard? Well, always when you get into a cult-like doctrine, always the heretical books override the Bible. Always, every time. You know, or whatever visions or prophecies or whatever that supposedly they're having. Or angelically inspired writings. So, if you have any of that stuff in your house, you need to get it out. It's one thing to research it online, it's another thing to bring it into your house. You know, the guy that was used to go to our, our uh, Bible study a long time ago, you know, Doug, he, uh, and this was, this was right at the end when they, when they left our, our Bible study, way back when we were in North Fort Myers. I mean, he, 
he uh, saw him one day, and he'd been researching all this stuff with Madame Blavatsky. And I'm like, oh, man. Okay, Doug, I mean, you know, but um, how far do we got to go into this stuff? You know? I mean, do we really have to just know every single thing about all elements of the occult? And I mean, you'll hear me teach more about those subjects than you probably would in 99.9% of all churches as far as exposing the unfruitful works of darkness and but then to have no fellowship with them. That's what the Bible says to do. We're supposed to expose them, to manifest them, but to, but to have no fellowship with them. We're supposed to yoke up with this stuff. And next thing I knew, he had went up to Chicago um, with his wife, and they, they had literally spent the day at the Theosophical Institute, which is the um, place that essentially Madame Blavatsky, the, the religion that Madame Blavatsky, the most wicked woman of probably the, all the 1800s, had started. She is the literal bedrock foundation for like, you know, a lot of the things that were carried on with Aleister Crowley and um, for the Order of the Golden Dawn and for high-level Satanists to this day. I mean, you, you look at Matreya's website on the United Nations, Matreya and Benjamin Krem's website on Share International. You look at their, all of the, 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 um, the recommended reading section. It's Madame H. P. Blavatsky and, and Alice Bailey and... Um, Manly P. Hall and these people that, that wrote all these occult books, but uh, um, Madame Blavatsky was like the, the one of the first ones that supposedly started communicating directly with these ascended masters that I've talked so much about. Which are probably nothing more than just fallen angels that manifest in some human-like form and say that they're going to make their big debut sometime in the very near future. Maitreya being one of them. So, he goes up there and spends like a day there with his wife. Even buys books. He said, it was interesting when he said he was up there, he said that um, they had Joel Osteen's book in the Theosophical Bookstore in Chicago. <laughs> Joel Osteen. <laughs> Shows you what team he's, he's playing for. So, he brings these, he buys Isis Unveiled, from what I can recollect, and maybe some other book. From, from Madame Blavatsky, and he brings it back and starts researching it. And I'm like, Doug, you realize you've just paid money, you've given good money to Satan to buy a book, which is could bring bad stuff on you there alone from a chastisement, godly standpoint, and then you research it, you bring a cursed object into your house, strike two, and then you're researching it. Well, I just want to know all about Satan... And stuff like, yeah, you know, Doug, we don't need to do that. And you don't need to bring cursed objects in your house. And you don't need to be keen on this. You'd be much better off reading the Word of God. Or at least some Christian writing. Not that. And you know, it wasn't too long ago, too long after that, he said, he approached me after one of the uh, uh, my weekly Bible studies. He said, you know, he says, um, me and Lisa, we just, we want to go and, uh, we, we want a more traditional church setting. Which I get. I, I don't provide that. I'm not a church. I'm a watchman. That's all I've ever claimed to be. I get that. But it was just funny how it was in the same time frame as him leaving our Bible study. And I've never saw him since. 
And there's somebody that, that, you know, I still have a lot of people ask me about to this day. Oh, what happened to Doug? And, and this is because you, you would hear him making comments during my earliest teachings and stuff for, I don't know, a couple years. And then Doug was gone. And Lisa. And so I haven't, I haven't heard from him. I, I love him. I really do. We miss him. Um, I love the fellowship we had with them. But, now, as far as Nomneta goes, if you remember back then, she's still there, and we could we could go back there anytime we wanted, but we don't live there anymore. But she's still doing well, and she was the widow that hosted the Bible study, essentially. Well, we met we met at their house and stuff. So, yeah, I, I love them all. I I I still just talked to Nomneta not too long ago, um, and stuff. I send her some nutritional stuff that's helped her, and um. But I mean, Doug and them were tremendous blessings to us, and 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 we we still love them. It's just that you know they kind of went their own way. But it was the same time he started studying really in earnest, because he'd been really dabbling a little bit, and then he's now he's bringing buying occult books and bringing them into his house and then studying them. No reason we need to do that. Just none. The only thing that needed to be done with that book is to burn it. It's it. So that's what I would advise anybody that's in that situation to do. Okay, so, um, and then the last verse, uh, Mark twelve twenty four. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not err, because ye know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God? That's Jesus Christ talking. So we're, we are to know... Um, we are to know the scriptures, study to sh- show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15, something we're supposed to do. Um, and we got, just got to be careful about these things. So, going further, it says, these narratives all had a recurring theme. Converts saw themselves returning to the age of the apostles, to the primitive Christian community depicted in the New Testament, Notes researcher Philip Charles Lucas. The discovery of orthodoxy is experienced as a return to something pure and sacred. Something that had been lost. Pure and sacred. This paganistic, ritualistic garbage that goes on in the orthodox and the catholic devil death cults. Oh, it's pure and sacred though. According to these. And it's where the age of apostles. Show me where the apostles of Jesus Christ did this kind of garbage that goes on in these supposed churches. It doesn't. This is a, it, it, it's an invention of their own imagination. But to them it's a return to something pure and sacred. Something that had been lost. Right. Well, again, more more verses came into my head. Proverbs 30, 30 12. There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. See, when you go into this stuff, particularly if you had known the way of truth and then you go wholeheartedly into orthodoxy or Catholicism, you're totally going to be blinded. But you think you're doing the right thing. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. So, you, you, you feel so pure in your own eyes. And yet you're not washed from your own filthiness. 
in God's eyes. But that's the appeal. All of the ritual, all of the incense, the accoutrements, the big flowing robes, the big church steeples, the pipe organs, all of that garbage. None of it will get you to heaven. But it makes you feel pure in your own eyes. Colossians 2.8 Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, which is all of this, this stuff is, after the rudiments of this world, and not after Christ. I mean, again, Christ had nowhere to even lay his head, and you're telling me he had all of these vestments and incense and censers and whatever. didn't have any of that garbage. Mark 7.13, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition. That's what the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church does every day. They make the word of God of none effect through their pagan tradition. All of these are pagan principles that have just been, quote, Christianized. Going all the way back to 325, or however far you want to go back, regarding the inception of the Catholic Church through Constantine in the Council of Nicaea. Making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Formerly charismatic Episcopalian, Randall Terry converted to Catholicism. He said, quote, it was during my work in Operation Rescue. Now this is the guy that um, he was working with Operation Rescue. And he was a charismatic Episcopalian. It was during my work with Operation Rescue, that's the pro-life group, that I first became interested in the Roman Catholic Church. Terry noted in an interview with the National Catholic Register, he goes on to say, the Roman Catholic Communion had a much better sociology and better stability, whatever that means. Why, the whole concept of transubstantiation where you believe that the priest has the literal power to turn the Catholic wine and the communion host into the literal, not figurative, literal body and blood of Jesus Christ? Is that what you mean by the Roman Catholic Communion having a better sociology and better stability? You devil? I mean, seriously. That's blasphemous, saying that. And then it says, it had a better sociology and better stability, coupled with a phenomenal theology of suffering. Oh man, I mean, you're a poet and don't know it. You really are. What does that mean? What does that drivel that I just said mean? Then he says, I would look at my evangelical friends who would come and go from the pro-life movement. They would proclaim undying devotion for pro-life activism and then disappear. Then I would look at my Roman Catholic friends who would never swerve. Oh. That That had a tremendous magnetism for me. See, this is the thing. This is why we don't yoke up with unbelievers. Because of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. Yeah, the Roman Catholics, probably, if you look at it, are more hardcore, some of them, than some of the real Christian pro-lifers. As far as going to abortion clinics. I believe a lot of them are doing that out of the whole works-based Catholic salvation, earn your way to heaven model. 
Well, this will, if I go to opera, uh, this abortion clinic, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to have a, serve a little less time in purgatory. Literally how they look at things. So I, I'm sorry, I don't view, I'm not saying all, what all Catholics, but I don't view all of that as being, oh, they're just better, better Christians. Have they seemingly put some Christians to shame by their devote? Okay, maybe you can make a case for that. I don't know their heart in that regard. But I know things in the Catholic Church are corrupted. That is a fact. But this is the very reason he ended up converting to Catholicism. Because of that one thing. I mean, which is pathetic, considering his next statement. He then said... Papal infallibility, meaning the Pope can commit no sins. <laughs> okay, right. That's real biblical. Papal infallibility. So in other words, everything he utters out of his mouth is, is, is dogma, even if it totally goes against the word of God, like this current Pope's done, and the Pope before that, and all the other Popes before that. I mean, th- this guy's literally on board with, with the gays and the lesbians now. So, in other words, he's reinterpreting the Bible every time he speaks. He has the audacity, the blasphemous audacity from his forked tongue almost every time this Pope speaks to basically rewrite the Bible. Terry said papal infallibility, Marian dogma, meaning Mary is the co-redemptrix, even though the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, not Mary. And that Mary actually made sin offerings, she wasn't sinless, that she did not live in sinless perfection. She made sin offerings in the Bible with Joseph. There was only one person that ever walked the planet that was sinless, and that was Jesus Christ. Period. So, papal infallibility, marrying dogma, and purgatory, which again, there's no Bible for purgatory whatsoever, were his biggest roadblocks. And there's so much more than that. And my comment was, why? Because none of these blasphemous heresies are in the Bible? I mean, would that is that why they were a roadblock to you? Because none of them were in the Bible? I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, I can kind of see. You know, when, not to mention the pedophilic priesthood and all the 50 million plus martyrs they killed during the Inquisitions, many of them true born-again believers, and all the torture and all of the, the extortion and all the greed and all the other stuff that has went along with the Catholic death cult. Yeah, those are little kind of little stumbling blocks. You know, hey, why, you know, let, let's, let's not get too critical here, though, you know. Okay, so continuing on, and I know I'm way over time on this teaching, but I want to at least keep one theme per teaching, so I don't know how long this is going to go, but... Um, anyway, he goes on to say, for years I have craved to be in the Catholic Church. Craved. Like when you crave a chocolate brownie? I mean, I don't get this. I've craved to be in the Catholic Church. But I couldn't figure a way to get around these hurdles. Yeah, you're right, because there is no biblical way it can be done. You just have to set aside your brain... Okay, put it in some formaldehyde, set aside your brain, and go mindlessly into this devil death cult. That's the only way it can really be done. Well, again, have your conscience seared with a hot iron. That's a way it can be done as well. 
And that way it doesn't matter. All of these things that were nagging you before, the whole papal infallibility, marrying dogma, oh, all those are gone. My conscience is sealed with a hot iron. I've been turned over to a reprobate mind, most likely, and I'm going to go my Murray way. This is what happens to these people on a spiritual level. And then he says, once I realized the truth, I had to go in. I couldn't wait. End of quote. The truth. The truth. What blasphemy. Again, I've quoted it, Proverbs 14, 12, and 16, 25. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 28, 26. He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool, which is what he was doing. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. He goes back and says, Being in the church has brought a wonderful sense of belonging. This is this guy that's converted, okay? This guy that was in the um, uh, pro-life movement. And uh, he says, being in the church has brought a wonderful sense of belonging. I am part of 2,000 years of Christian history that is glorious. You fork-tongued devil. I'm sorry, but you are. How dare you utter those blasphemous words out of your mouth? 2,000 years of Christian history that is glorious? So do you consider the 50 plus million tortured martyrs during the Catholic Inquisitions alone a glorious part of this church? What about the rampant child raping pedophile priesthood network that has existed since its inception? What about the unbridled greed false religion, idolatry, and yoking up with Satan like no other pseudo-Christian religion on earth. Do you consider all of these things glorious? You are so sick and deluded in your thinking process, it defies the imagination. That's my response to you. The Bible says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call good evil and evil, uh, call evil good and good evil. He is calling something totally evil, good, and glorious. That is blasphemy. And then he goes on to say, glorious, that it has warts and heroes and villains. Warts. Oh, I guess the warts were the things I mentioned, right? The 50 plus million killed and the pedophilic priesthood and the greed and the idolatry and all that. Yeah, that was, that was just, those are the warts. Yeah, we can overlook those though but that is nonetheless the church founded by Jesus upon Peter. Again, more total blasphemy lies from this devil. Jesus and Peter had not walked on the earth for over 200 years when the Catholic death cult was first formed. The year was 325 A.D. when the Nicene Council was convened by the order of Constantine, who was a pagan Roman Empire emperor. He had been a leader of the cult known as Sol Inviticus, or 
the cult of the invincible sun. And now he wanted to unite the, quote, Christian and pagan sects in his empire under his church, the, which would be called the Universal Church of Rome. This is where the Roman Catholic Church got its beginning from. The Nicene Council is considered by all as the first ecumenical council of the Roman Catholic Church. And it was pagan from the beginning. You cannot commingle paganism and Christianity and expect it to be good, like the good will cancel out the evil. No, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Leaven, like yeast, you put a little bit and it, and it leavens and it goes through the whole lump of dough. It doesn't take a lot. Jesus Christ said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. Okay, bad doctrine, which is what was happening here with corrupt, biblical, Alexandrian text-type, Alexandria, Egypt, Bibles that they were using from their inception. Alexandria was totally pagan. You don't want a Bible that has come out of Alexandria, Egypt. And this is where the Sinaiticus and the Vaticanus manuscripts that Westcott and Hort used in 1881 to translate the 1881 Revised Version. This is where they came from. Alexandria, you can trace it all the way back to that uh, lineage. So, this guy is just off the scale blasphemous. These quotes that he's giving. And then... um, now, my, uh, I, I make another comment. Now back to the point where the current Pope is using, the current Pope is using to try to actually unite even atheists with the Catholic Church, which is peace. Okay? So, regarding the Antichrist, the Bible says in Daniel 8.25, and through his policy also, he shall cause craft, and I believe this is witchcraft, to prosper in his hand. Witchcraft is going to be the coming essence of the coming one world religion. The essence of it. It's going to have witchcraft as its backbone, its strength. Um, when the Antichrist and the false prophet come with all signs and lying wonders, the source of that power will be witchcraft. I mean, you can trace it back to Satan, true, okay? But witchcraft, okay? The Antichrist is going to cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. Remember, this is going to be one of the chief um, attributes of the Antichrist. He is going to, by peace, he's going to destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So, he's going to stand up against the prince of peace, essentially. He's going to stand up against Jesus, but he shall be broken without hand. When I, when I looked up what the underlying... Um, Hebrew meant for without hand, it, mean without, it means without strength. Meaning, when Jesus comes back, the, the Antichrist is going to be broken, he's going to be destroyed without even, it's not going to take Jesus anything to do this. In other words, it's not like it's going to be some really big hard thing. He's going to be broken without strength, meaning he's going to be broken, it's not going to even take any, hardly anything for Jesus to do this. Why? Well, He's the creator of the universe. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That includes um, Lucifer, who changed his name to Satan after he fell. So he's no match for Jesus Christ. And 
you know, where do they end up? And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. That's their end. So all their followers, that's where their their, their God is going to end up. Right there in the lake of fire. But, in the meantime, when the Antichrist does arise, and by peace he shall destroy many. This is the same garbage that we're hearing from Pope Francis. About peace. Okay? Everybody likes peace, right? Yeah. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Now, we go to Revelation 6.1. And I saw the lamb, which is, this is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. This is Jesus Christ. He was the only one worthy to open the seals. I saw the lamb, capital L, this is Jesus Christ. I saw the lamb open one of the seals. This is basically where the great tribulation starts. Okay? So this is where the second Three and a half year period, I don't know exactly how far after that it starts, but it's probably close to the the three and a half year cutoff in the middle. This happens, most likely, biblically. I saw the Lamb open one of the seals, and as and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. So, this first seal has been open. Okay? What is produced from Jesus Christ the Lamb opening the first seal? A, a figure on a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. And a, and a crown. Not many crowns, but a crown. The bow, there's no arrows mentioned. He just had a bow. Okay, now this is why they say that the Antichrist could be, this, this is um, potentially describing the Antichrist. Because he, we know that by peace he's going to destroy many. If you had a bow with no arrows, that would symbolize peace. Okay, it does not mention arrows here. just says that he had a bow and a crown was given unto him. Now we're going to compare that to where we we hear about Jesus in the coming um, chapters, Revelation 19, where he comes back on a white horse, but there's differences in these two. Number one, the lamb just opened the first seal. The lamb is Jesus Christ. How is he going to open a seal and then all of a sudden he's there on the white horse? Number one, it doesn't make any sense from the standpoint of what the four horsemen do. Okay? They're not associated with good things. Now, we're going to get into that. I'm actually going to play a clip here that actually gets into it even better than, than I can. So, um... It says, a crown was given unto him, he went forth conquering, and to conquer. And then, uh, verse 3, And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. Now this is the second seal. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. So there had to be some type of false peace leading up to this. The Antichrist, through his, he's, through peace, he's going to destroy many, right? The Antichrist and the false prophet will arise, 
and and confirm the covenant with Israel for um, and these other countries for a week. It says, meaning a seven-year tribulation period. Most likely, this will be on the heels of World War III, where people will be desperate for peace. We're going to have this false peace most likely for the first three and a half years, and then. The Great Tribulation starts and we get into these seal judgments and the bowl judgments and the trumpet judgments and and then things are not peaceful anymore. But, if there was not some type of false peace on the earth, why would this red horse, why was power given under the red horse to take peace from the earth? Hmm. And that they should kill one another and there was given unto him a great sword. Something to think about. Now, I'm going to play a commentary on Revelation verses 6, 1 and 2 from J. Vernon McGee. And, um, um, I'm really messed up on time <laughs> for this part of the teaching. Um, I'm looking at what I've got to cover, okay. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that. And um, I'm going to play this clip, and I'm probably going to go back and try to create some better parts. I should have broke earlier regarding this. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and play this now, though, and um, this is going to kind of solidify what we're talking about with these verses here. I thought he did a really good job at this. J. Vernon McGee's passed away, and I'm not saying and we oh I agree with everything that he says. But I think um, he really nailed this commentary on Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, let this roll here. Open the first seal, and I'm going to read now from my translation. You follow the authorized version. That's still the best. None of these modern versions have made any improvement at all, including mine. It hasn't helped it at all. But all I've done with that... Okay, so he's basically saying, when you hear the authorized version, that's the King James Bible. Okay, so he's reiterating there, all these modern versions, they're no good, they haven't improved upon anything. So I, I like the way he starts this out. I'm not trying to translate, but just pulling out of the original what John is saying. Will you listen? And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the... Four living creatures saying as a sound of thunder. Now, it's not come and see. It's go. It's a command from heaven. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and one sitting on him having a bow and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ takes the seven-seal book. He breaks the first seal, and he's going to break them all. Absiriatum, right in order. The book of Revelation makes sense, friends. And he's in full charge. And every creature in heaven is moving at his command. And so the fourth horsemen now are going to ride forth. And he breaks the seal and he says, go. And it's restated by John that he saw and he heard. This is television we're looking at. And to determine the symbolism of the rider on the white horse, that's given rise to a difference of opinion, many differences. The preponderance interpretation among commentators is that he represents Christ, and they use Psalm 45 and Revelation 19 in support of this position. 
but most of the contemporary Bible expositors of the premillennial school say that the white horse and the rider is antichrist. And that's the position of Scott, Ironside, Schaefer, Walbert, Woodbridge, and Pentecost. See, he mentioned me first. That was the position of Scott, Ironside. So he got me in there, which I, 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 you know, I give him some props for, you know, thinking of me in that. Anyway, sorry, a little humor there. And it happens to be my position also. Now, he rides forth, and Antichrist does not appear as a villain after all. Satan's angels, they're angels of light. They don't look like demons. They don't have horns. And so Antichrist is going to come as the most attractive man that the world has ever seen so far because they didn't see the Lord Jesus and they don't see him today. But they're going to accept this man because he's come in his own name. And we are moving today in the direction of a world dictator. More and more is that true. All the nations of the world today are disturbed. Lawlessness abounds. Governments are not able to control as they should. This is all preparing the way for the coming of one who is going to rule. And he's not going to have horns or cloven feet. He's going to be the most attractive man the world has ever seen, and they will elect him, and the world will acclaim him, and when he takes over, it's sure going to be bad for the world. Now, this is not just the ravings of a preacher here in California. This is something that other men in other walks of life who apparently make no great claim to being a Christian have said, Professor A.J. Toynbee, who was director of studies in the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and I'm quoting him now, by forcing on mankind more and more lethal weapons and at the same time making the whole world more and more interdependent economically, technology has brought mankind to such a degree of distress that we are ripe for deifying any new Caesar who might succeed in giving the world unity and peace. That's the end of the quotation. That will be the platform that Antichrist is coming in on. Unity of the world. One world. And peace. And Remember, and peace. That's why it's tied in so well with this whole thing. Peace. You know... They're gonna they're gonna call for peace and safety and all the stuff and, and it's you know this is what we we should be expecting to hear from people like Pope Francis but it's not going to be a peace that's ushered in by Jesus Christ you know it's it's a false peace believe me I think if anybody appeared on the scene now and had offered the world that they wouldn't ask whether he came from heaven or hell I don't think they'd care because there is today. An obsession. We want peace, and we've spent billions of dollars for it. G.K. Chesterton observed in his day, he says, one of the paradoxes of this age is that it's the age of pacifism, but not the age of peace. There's a great deal of talking about it. In a news item some time ago, a woman in 
Fayetteville, Arkansas, named the United Nations as the beneficiary of a $700,000 estate. And in her will, this was her statement, in the fervent hope that this relatively small contribution may be of some effect in bringing about universal peace on earth and goodwill among men. And I want to say she poured that money down a rat hole because you're not going to buy peace with $700,000 or millions of dollars. We have given away billions of dollars throughout the world, and we don't have peace. And the Ford Foundation today is the world's wealthiest private organization, having listed resources of $492,678,255. And it has announced that the money eventually will be used to work for world peace and better government, living and education conditions. And the world gets worse all the time. You see, when Antichrist comes to power, he's going to talk peace. And the world will think that it's entering the millennium when it's actually entering the Great Tribulation. You see, the Great Tribulation comes in like a lamb, but it goes out like a lion. That's the big lie that the world is going to be. Now, this writer could not be Christ. Therefore, in view of the fact that Christ is the lamb in the midst of the throne, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and he's directing these earthly events from heaven and is giving the orders to the four horsemen to ride. Christ is clearly identified in Revelation 19, while here the identity is certainly obscure, which I think suggests that it's not Christ, but an imitation of him. Yeah, amen. I think he nailed it there regarding this. And I I mean, I know this is kind of a tangent I'm, I'm getting off into, but when we got in the whole subject of peace, this kind of ties into it because of the verses that you know, you'd be looking at there. Now, further clarification on this. Um, um, oh, yeah. I'll just read my comment here. I've already stated some of this. Regarding the verses above, Jesus could not be the one on the white horse in verse 2, Revelation 6. Number one, Jesus is identified as the Lamb in verse 1, who actually opens the seals. And in the second verse, we see a totally different figure on a white horse who is literally able to, quote, go forth because the Lamb opened his seal. How could they be the same pre- the same figure? Number two, the whole series of verses is literally the start of the Great Tribulation, which is the, the second... 3.5 year period of the seven year tribulation. And Jesus does not even make his grand entrance till the end of this period at Armageddon. So we don't, we're not expecting to see Jesus as the, at the start of the great tribulation. We would be expecting to see him at the end. There's another reason. Now, let's read Revelation 19 verse 11 onward, which says, um, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was faithful and true. Now this is Jesus Christ. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. Comment. Notice in Revelation verse uh, 6-2, the figure of the first horseman, of the first seal, is given a crown, but not many crowns. It's a totally different figure. In other words, this is Jesus, most likely 
in the uh, uh, Revelation 6-2, that's the Antichrist. He was given a crown. And he had a name written on him that no one knew but he himself, back to Revelation 19, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. My comment, in Revelation 6-2, that figure had a bow with no arrows, mentioned which is most likely symbolic of him conquering in peace, like the Bible talks about in Daniel. Whereas Jesus has a sharp sword coming out of his mouth, which is symbolic of the word of God, which he even says he is the word of God, and that he will devour his enemies. So, um, it's a totally different figure, in other words. Going back to Revelation 19, verse 15. And with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free bond, both small and great. This is when they're decimated at the battle of Armageddon. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, this is the Jesus Christ, and against his army. And the beast was taken and him in him with the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh." So anyway, I just wanted to clarify that, and I'm going to go ahead and end, this is going to be part two, and I'm going to end part two, and we're going to go to part three next. So God bless you.